Welcome to the Art Within podcast, hosted by filmmakers Houston Coley and Nate Shepard. This is season one, cultivating community in the digital era. Well, here we are again, Art Within podcast. I guess we're going to call this episode one because we called the first episode episode zero, which I kind of liked. It was like, this is like the pre, (laughs) it's like a prologue episode, basically. But here we are. This is one of the first episodes where we're really going to get into a topic that we want to explore in a very specific way, which I'm excited about. I think we're going to call this episode the power of place in cultivating community or something along those lines. Sure, yeah. Bunch of buzzwords, place, community, belonging, mm, all that mm. kind of stuff. But I've been really excited to talk about this topic for a while because I think you and I are both people who care about place very intimately in a mm-hmm. way that... Maybe some people don't understand all the time, but uh, it's it's been something I've been really excited to talk about. And I think it even beyond this episode, it will probably play into a lot of what we talk about in the, in the show itself. But, you know, we want to do at yeah. least focus on it more broadly this time. That's kind of my uh, thinking with this show in general is there's probably going to be a fair amount of repetition because <laughs> uh, we do kind of, you know, harp on the same thing sometimes, but I think for good reason. Uh, and a good aspect of what we're trying to do with the, with the podcast here is uh, to hopefully generate broader conversation, not just with uh, the two of us. And so uh, something we experimented with this week was we actually posted a question related to the power of place on our various social media channels. I believe you got some answers on your Twitter uh, and then I, I just posted to Facebook and Instagram. And so uh, I thought maybe a good place to start would just be to talk a little bit about some of the patterns or things that emerged just by asking the questions that we asked. And we actually each asked a bit of a different question, yeah, um, which was also lended, lent itself to some different answers. And so I don't know if mm. you want to just start and kind of give the uh, high level, what, what was the question you asked? Sure. And then what yeah. were some of the observations you made with the responses you got? Well, yeah, we we said it last week. One of the things that we're really pumped about with this podcast, man, that sounds like a bro-y way to say it. We're just so pumped about it, man. One of the things that I'm if you excited start, about- <laughs> If you start advertising like a supplement, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> is, is the way that hopefully we can use the podcast not as like, you said it right before we started, like we hope that the podcast isn't like Sunday morning and everything else is just like leading up to Sunday morning as like a gathering point for everything like the the podcast is the main thing what we hope is that this is just one piece of the art within pod community or whatever phrase we want to use as a way to unite people and have conversations around some of these topics even outside the barriers of these episodes um Mm. so one of the things that we I, I actually posted a guide to it on Substack, if you go follow our Substack, which is artwithin.substack.com, I think. Uh, And that's one of the ways that we want to like really more personally communicate with people because it's an email list rather than just subscribing to the show on iTunes. But so one of the things that I posted in the recent post on there was about how we're going to do a weekly discussion question before each episode. So it's going to be a question that kind of leads into the episode and what we talk about with that. And that'll that'll give people an opportunity to sort of speak into that topic, sort of their experiences with it and that sort of thing. And then we might use some of that in the episode. One of the other things is that the Substack app has discussion threads as an option. So you can actually participate in sort of it's like a group chat almost and you can you know respond to the thread and and give your thoughts there i really like the substack app i think it's 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 very clean there's no ads or anything um so it's just another cool way to communicate so that's all preamble for the fact that i did a discussion question on twitter this week which was so i asked what is a space you've been in 
parentheses, house, church, apartment, theme park, etc., where you've experienced really meaningful relationship with other people? Was there anything inviting or special about the place itself? And so I think that plays into, yeah, what I think we wanted to explore with this episode, which is this idea of how does place interrelate with actually cultivating community and and are those two things linked? And so I was interested to see if there were any patterns in what people said. And there were, I think. I, given my audience, <laughs> there were a lot of movie theater answers, which I love. Several of the answers were about historic movie theaters that people love going mm-hmm. to with their friends. Several were, were also not movie theaters, but theater experiences, like people who put on shows with other people and felt very connected to those people performing in some kind of historic theater or theater that's been around for a while. Um, a friend of mine, D. Tinglia Studios, he made a little documentary, like a four-minute documentary, and it's lovely, about a little toy store in his community that uh, is actually a really strong hub for community, and people come and, and like, trade and do all kinds of toy-related <laughs> activities there, which is really fun to hear. But yeah, so I think it was a lot of movie theaters and theaters, and mm-hmm. then and then also places that are old, I think was another slight pattern in, in the responses. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got one response on the Substack thread, which was amazing because, you know, I don't think many people are on the Substack app yet, but it was lovely. It was from my friend Glory Music, who's a patron of mine, and she talked about a very Labrie-esque experience, it sounds like, where during COVID, during quarantine, a bunch of members of her family and some friends lived together in the same house and mm. were like making renovations on that house together throughout quarantine. And it was like one of the strongest experiences of community in her life. So all of that was really interesting stuff to hear. I don't know what you, yeah, I think your question was a bit different, but. Yeah, well, and and that's kind of the fun experiment with it is uh, even within a topic like this, we tend to think about or approach different aspects of it. Um, and I might have, in hindsight, asked the question a little bit differently because I started to notice that I was getting more broad answers than maybe would be useful for what are we talking about. But uh, it ended up actually working pretty well. So I'll just read the question, and then uh, I'm not going to read uh, many, if any, of the answers. But definitely some some patterns emerged um, from the from the answers I got. So the question I asked is, what's a favorite physical place you like to spend time in? indoor or outdoor, though I'm mostly curious about indoor spaces. A place that inspires or calms you? Are there specific physical things about the way the place is set up that you feel contributes to these feelings? Or have you ever been a place that was the opposite, that made you instantly want to leave? Again, there were, speci- uh, were are, you know, were there specific physical things about the place that contributed to these feelings? And so uh, originally, I think I just said indoor or outdoor without qualification, and I was getting mostly outdoor answers. <laughs> And then I adjusted it to say, but if you have indoor, I'm more interested in the <laughs> indoor space. And again, the, the the very clear patterns with maybe the exception of one answer that was just sort of an interesting, uh, different kind of answer um, was that there was very clearly a desire for natural things. So mm. obviously a good number of people answered when I'm out by the lake, when I'm in the forest, that kind of thing. Um, but even the answers that were like, when I'm in inside, I want to be by a window. I want to have natural mm. light. I want to have plants. Mm. Um, and then there was also a thread of it, it being uncluttered. So not a lot mm. of extra stuff around 
um, and not a lot of extra noise. There was a lot of a, th- a thread of just quietness. Hmm. Um, and so this natural, clean, quiet space, whether that's indoor or outdoor, uh, yeah. was definitely the prevailing uh, answer that seemed to be coming up. And so what I find that's interesting about this is that I think there's a natural gravitation for a lot of us, at least now, maybe it's the sort of post-postmodern era where you have modernity, where we suddenly figured out how to make everything you know, quickly and at scale, and we just went all in on that, and the age of the internet and Amazon and all this stuff kind of blows that up even more in the global economy. And now you can have everything you want right at your door, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so there's almost this like move toward, uh, at least in, in, in the artistic world that I live in, there, there seems like there was this shift toward, uh, you, you'll see a lot of these YouTubers where it's like LED lighting and all this sort of like really dimly lit and kind of cool <laughs> neon stuff. Yeah. Um, but it seems like there's maybe a shift away from that now where it's like the, the, the cool factor has worn off. And uh, and now it's like, I want to be as close to nature as possible. I want to be by the sunlight. Mm. And that's 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 part of what I'm getting at is the, the studio I'm in right now actually has a large window that lets in a lot of natural light. Mm. This was like a deal breaker for me as far as when I was looking for houses, uh, you know, where we we're going to live. I have a home studio is like, I need natural light because my previous, the place that we used to live, uh, I worked in the basement and there was no natural light. Mm, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so it's uh, so kind of what I'm getting at is I think there's this interesting reality where the the mentality of how spaces are designed shifted at some point mm. to be less about capturing and elevating the natural elements of the world and more about almost like cutting out the natural world and then maybe we'll recreate it digitally in some way. Mm. But there's this almost uh, emphasis on we don't live in a natural world. We're going to cut yeah. ourselves off completely and even within houses. So when we first moved to the, to this city here, um, to the small town, uh, we bought a house and actually it's a, it was in a beautiful location. We lived on the river for a while, um, but the house is probably built in the 1960s, 1970s, I want to say. And it was very obvious that at the time when they built it, there was not a concept of looking at the water when you're mm. in the house. That's there so were no windows facing the water, really, to speak of. The, the <laughs> largest window where if you really wanted to look out over the water and see the nature and whatever was over the kitchen sink. Hmm. And so the, the actual living space that, uh, and it was a smallish house. And so we would spend a lot, of, it was the living room slash playroom slash everything else, you know, we would sit and face the street. So we got really familiar with our neighbor's smoking habits, um, <laughs> but didn't, weren't able to like sit and enjoy the tremendous mm. amount of nature. We actually had quite a bit of wildlife, eagles and uh, river otters and uh, all kinds of things happening in the backyard, but w- there was nowhere to sit and look at it. And and that was kind of frustrating to me. Um, and then long story short, we ended up moving across town to a house that was built in 1880, which is quite a bit older. So it's a 140 something year old house. Yeah. And what's interesting about it is how much more the house is built to to allow light in and to mm. see the sort of surrounding area mm. um, where there's there's not a room in this house except for maybe the basement, but it's an unfinished basement that's just storage anyway. 
there's not a room in this house that doesn't get a tremendous amount of sunlight almost entirely you know, throughout the day. And so a lot of this is, the reason I'm bringing all this up is that there seems to be this uh, shift. So maybe pre-industrial era, uh, pre-1920s, we were building houses in more of a connected way, a, a way that uh, was designed for us to live in hmm. these houses, to, to exist as human beings and to flourish and to be creative and to live out much of our lives within these spaces. And then there's the shift. Maybe it's the introduction of the car. Maybe there's other factors that have led to this, to where now houses become a place to sleep but then you yeah. you get up and you go like it's not a place you spend a lot of time in the, and if the you little do, box that you're in exactly <laughs> and everyone and has you, their little box if you do spend any time in your little box it's staring at an even littler box that gives you a sort of digital access to the wider world and so there's this shift in just how disconnected even our architecture is with regards to just mm -hmm. connectedness to our, our natural world as well as just what makes us feel healthy mm. as human beings and so there seems to be a shift where there's now like a a longing maybe to to return to a way of being that is more connected. And that maybe connects a little bit with what you were saying, because that was something that stood out to me about the answers you were uh you got on your question is is this the the ancient, the old, the yes. something yeah. before. Yeah. And I wonder some of that is the, you know, are we disconnected from any kind of history because yeah. of the age of the internet and the industrial mm -hmm. revolution and all that. But I think there's also a sense of we used to build things that were cool <laughs> and then we stopped. <laughs> Why did we stop building yeah. cool things? So anyway, I just Well, I, I also think that, you know, in, in relationship to how how all of that plays into community within those spaces, I think the his, historical nature of a space contributes greatly hmm. to that sense of community within it because you have a sense of often so many people have found community in that space before you and so, and so there's mm. sort of a sense of like generational i don't know i it could just be me but like when i think about and it's going to come up a lot when i think about labrie it was a place that i went to the house has been there since the 1600s labrie has been there for 50 years and i was like so many people have slept in my bed and you can talk to workers who worked at Labrie 40 years ago and they're like, yeah, I lived in that room that you're living in right now. Mm. You know, and, and it's fascinating to be in a place that is so bathed in memory and bathed in history and bathed in tradition. And so it, I feel like for everyone, there's some sense of it, it humbles you in some mm. way because it's like this place is older than me and bigger than me and and in our documentary interviewing people, that was something that people said often in their interviews was I feel very like I feel like in a good way, I feel small here. I feel like I, mm. you know, this place is bigger than me. It's older than me. And, I, and I'm able to rest in that oldness, knowing that so much community has happened here before me and will continue to happen here after me. Mm. I even mm. think about that with places like Disney World that I go to. Like I love Disney World is not an old place, but it has been there since 71. And. I, I often go like, wow, like how many people have stood in front of Cinderella Castle? Mm. Like there's something really powerful about that, even that short-term heritage mm. that Disney World has. I did want to say quick too, if for whatever reason, this is the first episode of our podcast you've listened to and you don't know what Labrie is, <laughs> go listen to our previous episode where we explore yeah, it in yeah. much more detail. Um, but basically it's just a, a retreat center in the English countryside that uh, is a lovely place that both Houston and I have experience with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it also makes me think about, and, and even what you said with natural light, makes me think about church buildings. And this is something that 
I don't think this whole episode is going to be focused on, but it will probably come up from time to time in the show itself. That was something that, you know, after spending time in, in Europe in general, especially with Debbie, obviously the churches in Europe are much older. Everything in Europe is much older. There's more of a sense of history to it. But also in these older churches, just like you're saying, there's more light too. Hmm. And it it really made me think about the way that so many mega churches are built. There's no natural light in the worship kind of environments. Mm-hmm. They feel sort of like conference centers or sort of like a Marriott ballroom. Not much sense of being in touch with the natural world when you're worshiping, mm-hmm. even if that's just natural light um, or plants or something like that. It often feels like there's an emphasis on the techie sort of mm-hmm. lights and smoke machines and dimness, and yet not a sense of the beauty of the world that God has actually created. And that's something that I really love about the church that my wife and I still go to sometimes when we come back to Atlanta. We're in Nashville right now. Uh, but the church that we have in, in Atlanta is called River City, and their building has tons of natural light in the sanctuary Mm -hmm. like it's just windows everywhere throughout the whole room and then they've also added a bunch of plants to the room too so there's Mm -hmm. like succulents all over the room and there's some ivy Mm -hmm. that they've strung around the um yeah different parts of the doorways and stuff and so it really feels in touch with that light and i also think that that adds something even even it's not just the fact that it's wonderful to be in touch with nature it's also the fact that when I'm singing songs, I can see the person next to me singing because there's a lot of natural light. Like, hmm. and there's something hmm. powerful about that. Interesting. In comparison to how I think a lot of mega churches do it, which is when we worship, let's dim all the lights hmm. and so that so that everyone can have a very introspective, hmm. personal, individualistic experience. I don't I don't hmm. want to pay attention to the other people around me singing. I just want to pay attention to my personal transformative experience as I'm being overwhelmed Mm. with emotion. And yet there's something really powerful about being actually in communion with other people that you can Mm. see and hear because there's not a lead singer dominating everyone. And so that's not to say like, oh, you know, there's only one way to worship. There's only one way to, you know, do church or something like that. Mm. But I do think that it's been really strong for me to have natural light and to have more of a sense Mm. of being in touch with creation and not be in sort of what feels like a hollow corporate space where I can't even see the people around me, you know? Yeah, that is interesting too. I, I didn't think of it just a minute ago, but is is a very pertinent aspect of, of the shifts, not just from away from the natural world, but also toward the individual experience, mm. sort of toward the internal landscape. And again, you know, you just described it in, in the church context, but I think even in how we build our houses, how we build our towns, we'll, we're, we'll save urban <laughs> planning for another episode because I know <laughs> there's a lot of interesting things to talk oh, about, but I think it's parks, the same thing. We'll get to that eventually. Theme parks, yeah. Um, but just building spaces designed for people to not only be in, but be together in. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're 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 right in that, you know, I'm I'm hesitant to just put up like a... It was better back in the day when they did this, that, and the other thing, or we should really build our houses and churches this way or whatever. And some of that's just the reality that not everybody has the opportunity I had to get into a house that's that old that also is not falling apart. Um, And not everybody has that uh, opportunity to find a space like that. And so 
Um, I think there is a lot that we could uh, also just talk about, about taking what you already have and and leaning in and, and sort of cultivating and realizing that even as, as despite our best efforts to separate ourselves from each other and from the the natural world and whatever, it's all still there and it's all still kind of creeping in and doing some interesting things uh, if we just pay attention. But yeah, I think that's that's actually maybe a big aspect. I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but a big aspect of why there maybe has been a disillusionment with uh, at least the modern evangelical church experience. It th- There's so much more. There's so much more to this. And maybe <laughs> at some point we'll talk about it if, it if it fits on the podcast. I have lots of thoughts. But one aspect of it, I think, is related to this reality that we started to design our community gatherings to be very individualistic experiences. Yeah, yeah. Which means at some point you start to realize I'm not actually in a community here. And maybe you don't realize it and you just feel a sense of disconnect and you can't put it into words. This is something I've seen uh, play out time and again. uh, and, And you start to realize, oh, wow, we're not, this is like a fake form of community. I think maybe we even talked about this on the last episode, that there's this almost like, you think you're having intimacy, you think you're having this deeper connection with people, this spiritual transcendent connection, but it's actually kind of very carefully, not deliberately necessarily, but it, it, it's just kind of a byproduct of certain beliefs and attitudes and mentalities that it's almost like it's designed to make you feel connected without actually connecting you with yeah. the person sitting yeah. next to you. And I, I wanted to make a comment too, uh, not just with light, but with, also with sound. So we've done the same thing with sound where a lot, again, if you step into an old cathedral, they the the acoustic engineering of these buildings is mm. absolutely mind-blowing. Yes. Where they have deliberately designed it to, to uh, create this reverberation of sound that goes on for forever. I, I had the chance to go to an even song uh, when we were in London. Mm. Uh, I forget which, I think it was St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, yeah, I went to one in Winchester. Yeah, and I think we went to one in Winchester as well. Actually, I think the one in Winchester was better because the St. Paul C- Cathedral had an, an American choir come and sing. And I, was like, <laughs> I did not come all the way across the ocean to listen to an American choir. <laughs> yeah, but it was like this just beautiful sort of elevation of the sound that then I've been in some church contexts where they're in old buildings that were designed to have acoustics. And again, some of the acoustics is you you hear each other next to each other. The point is the community singing mm. together, not the band. Yes. Um, where they would sort of, ha- in, these, in these spaces, they would want a modern style, but the acoustics of the space weren't lending themselves to it. So they would try and figure out ways to put up these just obnoxious, you know, uh, sound panels and just treat the room to deaden the sound so that they could have control over it. Mm. Um, and so again, I'm not, if you know me at all, you know, I love a good light show. I love, uh, <laughs> all of the sound. I hate, uh, fighting the acoustics of a space. So, so don't hear me saying that all of that stuff is bad, but I think that shift does demonstrate something that happened that maybe we didn't really realize in our religious communities that is maybe a part of why we feel so disconnected from them because these spaces are not actually, again, to what you were saying, it's not Mm. just that they're not built for humans, but they're not built for humans to be together. Yeah. Yeah. Our houses aren't built for humans to be together. And we, we, my wife and I value hospitality so much. And that's part of why we moved is our other house technically wasn't that much smaller, but it was cut up in such a weird way that we couldn't Mm. have people over. We still did. And it was 
crowded and awkward as all get out. <laughs> but now that space that we live in here, it's like, oh, this space feels like it wants people in it. And yeah. yeah. And that's a foreign concept, I think, for a lot of people in the modern era, but I think is also a desire that many of us are feeling, a disconnectedness that we want to resolve, yeah. um, but don't always know how to do that. Because again, our spaces aren't designed to help us with mm. that, if that makes sense. Yeah, Debbie and I are currently looking for a place to live <laughs> in Nashville, uh, which may be something that we hopefully have an answer to in the next few weeks. But one of the things that is really important to us with that is that it's at least a place where we could host at least some amount of people. Like not a, even if it's just one person, we need to have space to mm. host one person. Mm. And that's really important to us. And I think, yeah, there's there's an element with this episode and with this topic of, you know, these kind of community spaces like churches and parks and theaters and all this kind of stuff that's really interesting. And then even a broader element that we haven't really touched on yet about urban planning and, and all this kind mm. of stuff of mm. how does walkability and car dependence and all these different things lend itself or not lend itself to community but then there is also a very personal element of it too of just how how do how do our homes hmm. lend themselves to community mm -hmm. um and and i think about especially i feel like i mean i don't know i don't know how i don't know what it's like for most people i don't want to make like a a broad statement about how how people are doing with hospitality post pandemic but i feel like i don't know i, I feel like at least my perception is that during the pandemic, we kind of hold up in our places, mm. many of us, created the box that we can survive in. And we survived there because it truly was like something crazy was happening outside. But we haven't really figured out how to invite people back into those boxes mm. and make them make them spaces that other people feel comfortable in. Or even like give ourselves the wherewithal to, to allow someone into that space or to to allow ourselves into someone else's space, you know? And mm. I think maybe we need to do that and we need, we need to think about what, yeah, it's just interesting to me. I, I always feel like you can tell when someone cares about hospitality. Like you, you go into their house and they offer you tea or something, or, 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 you know, it feels like they've, they've made a place for you. Hmm. And I think it's an increasingly rare thing but but mm. that makes it even more just like it it glows whenever mm. you experience it and mm. i i i i don't think debbie and i are good at that yet <laughs> uh but we we would like to be and i think you and you and andrea would like to be uh mm. too and and even thinking about how the ways that we we curate those spaces influence that like i mm. i love it when i'm in a space in someone's home or or even in some other space that's not a home, even in a church, where you can tell that everything that's on the walls and all the stuff in the room hmm. is is meaningful stuff. Like I remember when um I Debbie and I were in England and we were it was before our documentary was going to be filmed, and some people in Gretham, the village around Labrie, offered to host us before we would go to Labrie before the term started. And they had a shep what they called a shepherd's hut behind their house. Mm. And it was a beautiful little storage crate <laughs> that they had turned into a home, a, mm. a tiny, tiny house in their backyard. And it was so funny, like the way that they had turned this little storage crate into a lovely mm. little place to dwell was so amazing. There was a little fireplace in it and mm. there was a, uh, a pot where we were able to boil eggs on a stove. Mm. 
And then there was a rocking chair. And I remember Tom, the guy who, uh, the dad of the family was ho- who was hosting us, he said something like, I just, I love this little chair. It's, it's like a, it's like a cathedral of pondering. And I was <laughs> like, oh, that's great. I want to sit in that chair. <laughs> and so it was so <laughs> obvious. And it, it was a chair that was owned by his grandma. Mm-hmm. And it was so obvious that every item that they had placed in this tiny little mm. tiny house that they had specifically put in their backyard so that they could host people was meaningful and thought mm. out and something that they thought would make that person's experience there more meaningful. Mm. And I just love when there's that intentionality in a place mm. mm-hmm. and you can feel that intentionality. I, I think it's actually something very loving is, is having intentionality with mm. creating a place. I wonder if some of our difficulty as modern people, to embrace that idea, even though I think a lot of us are drawn to it, but it requires us to move from conformity to specificity. And what I mean by that is we have been sold this idea of, it's it's kind of the, the quintessential keeping up with the Joneses. Um, and now it's all, you know, doing the right thing, uh, optimizing for the algorithm. It's all this stuff mm-hmm. of be exactly like this so that you can appear to other people to have succeeded or to have, you know. And some of the most interesting and lovely friends that I've made, uh, certainly up here in in northern Wisconsin, but other places as well, are, are the people who are just themselves. And you, like, go to their house and you're like, only you would have you know, an axe throwing uh, range in your backyard, you know, and be actually really good at it. You know, it's just actually the same person also built his own uh, blacksmithing forge. You know, it's like the, there's just these interesting, I I love what I love and I'm, I'm a specific person in a specific place. And I lean into the specificity of my place. Uh, You know, I, I think of something that we've chosen to do with our house here is something that I'm trying to, to do over time is I would like everything that's hanging on our walls to either have some personal significance to us as a family yeah. and or be made by someone I know. Mm. Um, and so we've already, you know, we've actually put more money than maybe quote unquote would be necessary into purchasing some of my friends' art to hang on our walls. And obviously I, I try to find ones that connect with me. So it's not just, oh, my friend made this, but... Um, and these are like professional artists too. Like I want quality work that's represent. You know, they put in the time and the effort uh, to make something that's very uh, sort of engaging. Um, but it's that same type of thing. Of uh, it's both being specific about who you are, owning who you are, being okay with somebody might think you're weird. I think there's so much of that nervousness of, well, what if I'm not like this? And what if you know, I know for for a lot of us who are in the young parenting stage there's a lot of nervousness about inviting people into your space because it's really, really difficult to Mm. keep a space clean when you have children under the age of five. It's so difficult. You literally sweep the floor, you turn around, and now there's a plant that's been spilled all over the floor and there's crumbs (laughs) on every crack and it's like, it's impossible. But something we found is that when we invite other families into our space and we don't clean as well as we maybe would have liked to, they feel more comfortable because they're like, wow, I, you are just like me. And it actually has allowed them to imagine, oh, I could actually do this too. Because there's this mm. unrealistic expectation of what it means to host people, yes. to have people in your home. Um, and again, I think this, these ideas have crept into the church as well, where it's like, it's, mm. it, 
we don't mean it to. It's not always a, a, a conscious decision, but we're putting on a performance. Yes, rather than people. Yeah, entertaining people rather than loving the things that we love and sharing that with other people. Mm. Um, There's a quote from Wade Bradshaw who wrote a book by, by uh, called By Demonstration God, and he says... I forget what the full quote is, but he basically says, we don't, we shouldn't seek to entertain people with our hospitality. We should just seek to include others in what we do. Hmm. And, and so there's a sense of, we, all we need to do is just be us and be loving hmm. in that and include others in that. And that's hmm. enough. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, there, it doesn't need to be this elaborate performance or spectacle. Yeah. But, but keep going. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, that's great because, you know, I've thought about that too of like, uh, you know, how do I build community? I don't have friends. Like I hear these things. I've said these things. Uh, it's it's across the board. Everybody's struggling on some level with this. And, and there is this reality that it's like, do you want community? Do you want friends? Do dishes with them. <laughs> you know, like yeah. don't don't put on this whole show and then feel exhausted and sort of almost like uh, they owe you something now or, you know, get into this weird economy of, of exchange. Mm. Uh, just what are you doing today? Um, and, and one more thought I want to add, and then, you know, maybe this podcast has gone on long enough, um, but is the uh, part of cultivating spaces that feel like they belong to humans involves unnecessary elements. And again, what I mean by that is like, why do you need flowers in your sanctuary? Do you need natural light? Like functionally, no, right? We're here to hear somebody talk and sing some songs and go home. Uh, do we need, like, let's just play a track on the sound system. Like, why do we need musicians? Why do we need uh, a, a fireplace in our homes? Why do we need bookshelves that we can have it all on our, you know, e-readers? And that's the beauty of being human is that we aren't machines. We're more than the algorithm would tell us. And so sometimes what we need is what uh, is the unnecessary parts of life, um, yeah. in part because that's what it means to be human and in part because it reminds us of that. It, 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 it's the part of us that is beyond machine. Yeah. I, I did want to talk about one thing that I have been pondering about a lot this week before we wrap up, which was I visited recently, and I'm not going to name it because I know a lot of lovely people who are involved, and I think it's great, uh, is there's a planned community near me that has just been built in the past few years. And it's basically like a like a live, work, play kind of environment. It, it's designed in like city blocks and very European inspired. There's like, <clears throat> you know, the idea is walkable community. They, they've really wanted it to be a place where creatives can flock and live together and um, all of these really interestingly designed houses and shops and the urban planning geek in me loves it. Like it is designed so well from a standpoint of it's, it's designed more like a Disney park than than like a typical American city. Like, and it's mm. continues to grow. There's a lot of really interested, interesting businesses that are coming in. They're building a movie theater and all this kind of stuff. And the main thing that they've tried to build it around is this idea of let's build a space that really invites community, invites people to, to live together and really where people are kind of on top of each other in each other's business. There's a lot of like townhouses and houses that are really close together and shared community space and shared parks. And I've been really impressed with the way that they've done it and some of the like 
even like Easter eggs that they've put in the decor of the place that mm. feel very Disney and just the sense of, of personality to it. Mm. At the same time, I talked to someone who lives there recently and they said, yeah, it's so funny. Everyone who lives here has, has moved here because they want to live in a place that has community. They want to live in a place that mm. invites community. And yet everyone I talk to is like, yeah, I haven't really found it. <laughs> Even though they all live really close to each other and now they're having to start all these groups that allow them to foster community somehow. Basically start the the idea was like we don't need HOAs, we don't need like, you know, mm. groups of neighbors to, you know, make this happen because it'll just happen organically based on how we've designed the place mm. and it's not happening. And now they mm. have to start these groups to kind of make it happen. Um which I thought was fascinating because mm. I think it's so well designed, but at the same time, A Unfortunately, it's pretty much just for rich people because it's, you know, that's that's what happens with these things. And B, I think to me it proves that you can't necessarily manufacture community. Hmm. You can't just design a place perfectly and community will automatically happen. Hmm. And something Debbie said to me when we visited that I thought was really insightful was she said, I don't feel like many of the people who would choose to live here would be people who are comfortable with you seeing the messy parts of their lives. Hmm. It feels yeah. like a place that wants to be very well curated. Hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's really insightful hmm. um, and feels quite counter to, you know, things that we've experienced at Labrie or at good churches and that kind of stuff where we're really invited into the mess and that actually helps to cultivate community and then there was a part of me that hmm. was like, I love what they're doing with this. I think it's really interesting as an urban planning geek, as a theme park geek. I'm like, this is so, there's so many cool ideas here. But at the same time, it's A, all new. You know, it's all it's all new stuff being built. And so there's no sense of heritage or history hmm. to it. It's all sort of, you know, built from scratch. And then B, I don't want to be someone who believes that you need to move to a place like that to have community. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and I've seen even engaging with people who used to work at Labrie or really hospitable church leaders that I've known or hospitable mm -hmm. non-church people that I've known, people who live in places that are not super inviting for community, like on their own merit, mm -hmm. just transforming those places and using them and creating some of the most hospitable environments that cultivate community that I've ever seen. And so there was a sense of, oh, I love this. I love this idea. I love, you know, I really do think that urban planning matters when mm -hmm. it comes to like, you know, if, if places more, were more walkable, maybe we would have a better sense of community. But I think it also shows that there has to be a sense of vulnerability on our part, mm -hmm. a sense of getting outside of our comfort zones, a sense of not needing to have something external manufacture the community, but actually doing it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And a sense of, I, I really think you just have to be able to use what you have and be scrappy with it. You know? mm, and, mm. and that is, is super important. Um, so that's just yeah. something that's been on my mind this week that I'm still yeah. thinking about. It's just yeah, fascinating I mean, I, to me. I think maybe we should do an episode just talking about you can't have community without the mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th there's so much there that obviously we don't have time to get into now, but uh, what a great, great place to leave off, I think, is just reminding our listeners and reminding ourselves of both and that, that, okay, go over to this cool place and suddenly you're going to have community. No. But also you can have these things where you are right now. 
it may be very difficult. It may not look the way that you have in your head, but that's something we've been experiencing is like, I live in small town America. I live in an area that I didn't grow up in. There's all sorts of interesting uh, challenges and interesting, challenging people and all these other things that, you know, I won't get into right now that, but it's possible here. Um, and some of it is just leaning into the messiness and the peculiarity of your own place mm. uh, to cultivate those things. Going somewhere else does not solve that. And a lot of it just comes down to because because that when you go somewhere else, you are trying to foster community without being vulnerable yourself. Mm. You're trying to, to just paste it on with a different program, a different something. Mm. And you will never have genuine loving community if you are not willing to be a messy person. Mm. So I want to kind of put it to you listeners. Uh, we obviously care a lot about this topic and find it really fascinating. And so if you do have uh, additional thoughts, this I guess is something I'm, I'm interested to hear from people, yeah. of just ways that you've found that you can cultivate community in the unique place that you live in. Or uh, I'm also really curious, you know, how are you choosing to decorate your house or uh, what types of religious or artistic or otherwise, you know, communities are you seeking out um, that that are working, that seem to be giving a lot of life to you. Uh, Particularly right now, I'm interested in anybody who lives in an area where it's winter half of the year. How do you survive? (laughs) I'm still trying to figure this out. We live in a nice house that helps us uh, with some of those things. We drink good coffee. Um, but it's still rough sometimes. So how, mm. how do you inspire yourself? How do you connect with other people mm. uh, in spaces? What are some things that you're, uh, some ideas you might have to, to yeah. learn in the conversation? Yeah. If, if y'all have any thoughts about that, you can A, send an audio message to speakpipe.com slash artwithinpod. Just go to the website. You can hit record, no account or anything required. Or there will be a discussion thread posted, like a post-episode discussion thread on the Substack app. But you can find out more about that at the artwithin.substack.com website and get on our email list there. And I think that's pretty much it. Thank you guys so much for being here this week. I'm just really excited to continue these conversations every week and have you guys participating and hearing more of what you think about these things. Um, Because, yeah, we we really don't want this to be an echo chamber of just two two guys saying things. We, We want it to be a place where we can engage with what everybody, you know, what all of your experiences have been on this stuff, um, because I really find it genuinely enlightening. So thanks so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode of the podcast. Yeah, we'll see you then.